Welcome to A Photographer's Life. The channel that takes you behind the curtain into the world of professional architectural photography. Join us now for an episode with one of America's premier architectural photographers. Today's broadcast comes from a recent interview with award-winning American architectural photographer, Lincoln Barber. Today's interview was conducted by AIAP director Alan Blakely. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. Now, on with the show. All right, we'd like to welcome you to this episode of A Photographer's Life, brought to you by the AIAP. Today, we're talking with Lincoln Barber, an architectural photographer out of Portland, Oregon. And Lincoln, it's a pleasure to welcome you here. Thank you for coming on with us on this podcast episode. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. For those of you who don't know Lincoln's work, uh, Lincoln's one of the elite photographers in the United States with regard to architectural photography. So we're really pleased to have him on here and hope that we can learn a lot about his career and and what makes him successful. Uh, So Lincoln, to start out with, I'm just curious to know, where did your interest in photography start? Uh, It's, you know, my my dad was a wedding and portrait photographer when I was a kid. Um, So I kind of grew up in his studio and um, was around photography a lot. Um, But I didn't really discover photography until high school. Um, I took a a black and white photo class. And yeah, this is back in 92. So uh, back in the film days. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, just, you know, I just love photography, um, but I didn't know how to make a, a living at it. So I moved into uh, graphic design and web design in the late 90s. Okay. And then um, still did photography as a hobby, but it wasn't a career uh, idea for me at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, I did a website uh, for an architectural photographer, um, a guy named Philip Berlin, based in Charlottesville, yeah. Virginia. Yeah. And uh, he was the first photographer that I ever met that didn't shoot weddings and portraits. <laughs> and I, I just kind of, he opened up my idea to this whole commercial photography world. And, you know, it's, it's funny, before I met him, you know, or looking at an ad in a magazine, like I would just assume the company had photographers on staff that made those photos. So I didn't realize yeah. there was this whole freelance world, you know, shooting photography. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, so I was working in the web design area, like for, during the first dot-com bubble. Okay. And I really just didn't like, I didn't like the place I worked. I didn't really like the the, the kind of work I was doing, which just wasn't very satisfying. And um, so I, I quit my job and I ended up working for Philip for like two years okay. uh, as a assistant and studio manager. Yeah. So it was cool. It was, I, I was real green going into it. I'd, I'd never seen a view camera, never oh. loaded a film back or four by five or any of that. It was all, all completely new when I started working for him. It w- was cool though. He was in this transition phase. So he was shooting film. Mm-hmm. And then scanning it on a drum scanner and then yeah. Photoshop. So I yeah. really started working for him at an ideal time to to get into photography. Let's back up just a little bit there. You sure. brought up something that's uh, that I think is kind of interesting. There seems to be just this complete lack of knowledge uh, in the in the population generally as to how architectural photography actually gets done. Mm-hmm. It's it's not taught in schools generally, and if it is, the business side of it is not ever taught in schools. For sure. And so uh, people come out not really understanding that in order to do this job, you're going to have to be self-employed, yeah. and you're going to probably have to start out assisting someone who knows how to do it. Yeah. Because um, you don't come out really having those skills. So it's an interesting niche, um, and you mentioned that you went. To work for Philip for a couple of years, mm-hmm. 
that that really is the most common way that when we, we did a poll with the AIP, about 90% said that that's how they'd started is by assisting another photographer. Um, Philip was kind of at that hybrid stage, it sounds like, where film was still being used and mm-hmm. we were trying to figure out a way to get it in a digital format to people. Macintosh computers were coming into design studios and mm-hmm. advertising agencies and things like that. And and so that was an interesting time. I'm assuming that you probably worked mostly with 4x5 with Philip then at that time. It kind of depended. Uh, he did a lot of um, 120 for okay. his local clients. And then when he had a, a more national you know, advertising job, we would shoot 4x5. Okay. So it just sort of depended on the on the needs of the clients, but we were drum scanning everything. So we had control. Um, mm-hmm. When he didn't have control, he would like he would deliver four by five uh, typically. Yeah, those days of delivering originals is kind of scary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't imagine. <laughs> so when you jumped um, to shooting on your own, uh-huh. uh, about when was that? About what year? Uh, it was about. See, I started working for Philip in 2001. So it must have been like 2003, 2004. That's um, okay. when I started, when I stopped working for him full time. And I went to uh, like, just he just hired me as a freelancer okay. uh, assistant once in a while. But um, he actually helped me get my first clients. Uh, it was a, a real estate firm in Charlottesville um, called oh, McLean okay. Faulkner. And so I got I started off just shooting like, you know, like the just the three exteriors that they needed for a listing. And, yeah. um, and I was shooting film in the beginning too. So I had a, I had a 35 millimeter camera and then, um, I was scanning it. I think like the Nikon cool scan. Do you remember those yeah. little film scanners? Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would shoot film, I would shoot slide film, scan it on that and then deliver the scans. And, um, I started, shooting for real estate clients. Um, and then I started working for the newspaper a little bit, the weekly paper there in Charlottesville. Okay. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to shoot architecture in the beginning. Like it was sort of like I was exposed to it. And so Mm -hmm. I I knew the process I knew, you know, working for Philip, I really learned the whole life cycle, like, you know, what you need to bring to a shoot, you know, what you do at the shoot and what you do after that whole, you know, three-step process. Okay. And then, um, I was thinking that I would be more like a commercial, like I was really into music and so I was shooting bands and, you know, mm-hmm. I really wanted to kind of be rock and roll photographer, but, sure. um, you know, I, I just, I kind of just did a little bit of everything for, for the first, I'd say, you know, five, 10 years of my career was mm-hmm. kind of this mix of architecture, people, I shot food for a little while. I, I tried pr- product in studio. You know, I, I kind of just dabbled with everything. And then in the last 10 years, the last half of my career, it's been really focused on, you know, architecture. Okay. Actually, I would say the last eight, sorry. Okay. That seems to be kind of a common path for a lot of people mm-hmm. too, is that they start out doing a lot of things to general commercial photography. Yeah. And then, then kind of work into that niche, either because they don't like being in the studio or they... <laughs> <laughs> they don't like you know being hunched over a camera shooting products all day or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, for me, I just I just got tired of photographing people who didn't want to be photographed. You know, the <laughs> environmental exactly. portraits. I just ah, it's brutal. <laughs> Buildings are much uh, much more you know happy to be there and sit there and wait for you to take the picture. <laughs> I hear Love that I, almost everybody says that that's gone into architecture. So that's interesting that you say that too. Um, what was your transition from film to digital like and, and how, how did that process play out for you? Um, it was, 
you know, I was always scanning. So, you know, I had, and I had the experience of Photoshop from my web design days. And so yeah. I was pretty comfortable going into it. You know, I would say when the, the my first digital camera was a Fuji S2, it was like a, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I liked the files, but the camera was really buggy. Mm-hmm. And then Canon came out with their 10D, I think. And then that was, that was the camera. That was the one that really sort of made everything a lot easier for me um, to switch to digital. So I, um, I actually bought, um, I bought like a wide angle lens and a zoom lens from KEH. And that was my main kit um, oh, for, okay. the, for, for the first couple of years. Okay. And then, so I've just stuck with Canon ever since. And um, as I've gotten further in my career, um, you know, the, the Canon cameras have kept improving and they came out with those great tilt shift lenses. And so, um, yeah, I've pretty much stayed with the whole Adobe's Canon package for most of my job. And then recently, I would say the last five years, I've been shooting for my commercial clients, like the, I shoot for Hunter Douglas, which is a big mm-hmm. window blind company. Yeah, true. Um, I've been renting the, have you heard of the Alpa camera yeah. system? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So I've been renting that with the phase one back and okay. which is super fun. Cause it's like yeah. a traditional architectural camera with movements and everything. <laughs> and it's a lot slower process, but the quality is, is phenomenal. And, um, for the, for the right client, it's, it's the right tool. Yeah. I think I, I agree with that. If, if you've got a client who's got the patience to let you do something like that, the result is well worth the trouble. Yeah. And to me, it, it seems so much like shooting, um, you know, with a big CNR camera or something totally. like that. Totally. Um, it's about the same speed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but um, one nice thing is that uh, it, it's a whole lot easier to, to judge what you're getting and how quickly you're getting it mm-hmm. and find approval and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, that's one huge advantage of it to me. Yeah, I think the biggest, uh, the best change of digital photography was when um, we could start shooting with live view and tethered. Yeah. Um, that was, that made my, like what I was doing the night and day, just being able to get real time feedback of, mm-hmm. you know, the scene to be able to sit with the client in front of a laptop and, and see the staging and the, you know, the angle move in real time. That was, that yeah. was a huge game changer. So I'm really, um, I don't think I would ever go, not back to not having that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a, imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, w- that would be really difficult. So m- most of your shoots, do you have a client present with you, or are you shooting yeah, alone? I, I try to. Um, okay. Also, on my shoots, I always bring in a, a photo assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, on the bigger jobs, you know, we'll have producers and you know digital techs and uh, yeah, a lot more people. But I like working with the client when I can, just because I feel. You know, the photos are supposed to serve their needs, you know, not necessarily sure. mine. Um, and so I want to make sure that they're happy with the with the shots as we go mm-hmm. and they have their input. And I really I really look at the shoots I do for architects as like a collaborative process. Yeah, I it's not always possible, but um, I, I, I have a, think I have a tendency to overshoot or, you know, second guess myself a little bit when I'm shooting by myself. And I just okay. like, oh, it's... <laughs> You know, you get you get like a, a site plan with some arrows, and you're like, okay, I'll see if I can <laughs> yeah. find this angle you're yeah. thinking of. So I, I really like having the clients there. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I get those site plans too. Yeah, <laughs> and usually may never even meet the client ever. Yeah, so that I get you know jobs where we just do it all through email. I never even have a, a phone call with the client. So it's just yeah, it's just a different world. <laughs> That's interesting. And are you tethered for most of the work that you do, or do you ever shoot without a tether? 
I would say ninety nine percent of the time I'm tethered, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I, I, you know, I bring batter, like external batteries for outside for long periods of time. Um, okay. I, I've tried the wireless to an iPad, but it's I. I liked everything going into the laptop just so that ingestion later and editing later is all kind of seamless. Um, yeah. Every once in a great while, I'll have to like shoot untethered for some reason, but it's it's really rare. Okay. Um, I noticed on your website that, that you do a lot of shots that include people in the shots. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that there's kind of a division in the industry about right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably more with photographers than with architects. Um, yeah. The, those that, that are happy to, to put people in the shots and those that just don't want to even deal with that. And so yeah. what's your approach to adding, adding people in a shot? Um, how, how do you, you know, what's, what are the steps that you go through to make that actually work? Um, so it, you know, kind of depends on the client. So, but I would say like, you know, like a typical job where we would need people would be like a school, like a, mm-hmm. sort of an educational, you know, kind of setting. And so a lot of times I will work with the client and I'll, I'll kind of lean on the client to coordinate people being there. Um, mm-hmm. If they want me to bring people, then I, you know, I, I kind of add production t- days for that reproduction. Yeah. Days. So once we get the people there, then yeah. And I think having people in a space is one of my sort of strong like niches. Like I, I'm, I kind of know where to place people. Yeah. And so I try to place people in a way that makes sense for the scene that, you know, it feels natural. Mm-hmm. There's some movement or there's some energy through it. It's activating the space and, and making it feel very lifelike. Um, it does complicate shots. You know, I, I know um, I, I try to be sort of a get it in camera kind of shooter. So yeah. I, I don't do a lot of like fancy lighting tricks or like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, popping strobes in the different spots of the room and then photoshopping it together later. And so yeah. because I don't have that technique, I can put people in the shots pretty easily. Okay. And it depends. Like sometimes if we're like in a public space where there's people going to be in it no matter what, then you just do the best you can. But if I have mm-hmm. control, I'll I'll usually try to shoot the scene empty first mm-hmm. and you know get the brackets and the you know the, the window plates that I would need later. Right. And then start adding people um in the into the shot. And and okay. then and then so I retouch you know the the shot without people and then I kind of paint the people in where we need okay. them. I think that's probably the most common approach that people mm-hmm. are using now and seems to be the most successful. Certainly the easiest on the people that are waiting around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. You can get those plates ahead of time and then just place people yeah. um, beyond that. It's interesting that you say uh, about getting it in the camera. Yeah. That's a real film discipline kind of thing. Yeah. You didn't have the choice. No. Right. <laughs> and so uh, in, in my conversation I had with Brian Dressler, we were reminiscing about, you know, changing filter packs on a single sheet of film yeah. and airing exposures and all that kind of stuff, which we don't miss in the least. But it is nice to have that that capability that you can, you know, get the space right, mm-hmm. like you said, and then place the people. And sometimes, you know, the people just don't work out where you thought they needed to be and. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to have that flexibility. Talk to me a little bit about lighting. I, I see from your website, it looks, and, and then the picture I saw with your, uh, your carry-on truck, uh, mm-hmm. it looks like you, you carry lighting. And mm-hmm. You are a lighting guy. So there seems to be two, two schools of thought about that right now, about whether or not we light or we don't light. And, yeah. And uh, you obviously light. And I'm just wondering what your approach is to most spaces for sure. your lighting. 
Yeah. So I try to make, um, I would say I try to make the lighting look organic and real. Um, okay. I don't really like to, to overlight things. And I, I, I usually take the available light as the, as the sort of the inspiration and mm-hmm. then add fill to, you know, just kind of fill in the shadows or, or fill in problems that the natural light's not giving us. So okay. I try to be as much available light as possible, mm-hmm. whether it's, whether it's daylight or incandescent, I just try to use what's there. So that way, you know, I deliver a photograph that is representative of the actual space rather than mm-hmm. my own personal lighting style. So, sure. um, I would say, you know, I typically, you know, because of the film background, I shoot everything at F 16 and mm-hmm. then you know, my, my fill light is always a stop or two under that. Um, so, you'll never notice my lights being the direct source unless it's like a hard light you know, coming through a window or something like that. Yeah. Well, that makes real sense. I, I think that's something that's important to discuss and to bring up because I, I don't see that being something that people understand that are just coming into the business right now. Mm-hmm. Having not been around a situation where you didn't have a choice with film, but to bring up that shadow value. Yeah. Um, and to control the highlights on that. And so you just brought lights. That's a matter of course. And so it's interesting to see that you're approaching it the way you are. Your stuff looks incredibly natural. I mean, your work is beautiful. Nobody Thank can you. deny that. So I nobody would say that's definitely lit. Yeah. <laughs> I started shooting in the 80s when the style was kind of for overproduced lighting. Ah, yeah. Look at, you know, architectural digest or whatever from that era. The photographer did his own thing, regardless of what was really going on in the or in the, in the, the situation there in the home. So people ended up hiring on the basis of style of the photographer and uh, the big light. And there were some people that were really well known for that. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Do you ever shoot? Um, just completely natural lights off in a situation. Yeah. You know, if it's great light, I don't, I don't mess with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I find like the big room shots, like if we're, if we're in a situation where there's just one window and there's only mm-hmm. one direct, that's when I'll use more lighting than less. Yeah. Um, but if I have like a, you know, you know, a white interior with, you know, natural light all around, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll add very little light. You know, sometimes I like to put in just, just one small strobe just to pop just to kind of clean up the whites and just to kind of clean up the the shadows and but i uh i don't go there right away you know i i kind of compose first find Mm -hmm. the angle see what the available light's doing and then decide if we need to to add lighting or anything and another thing that i do with my lights as um i i really don't like direct light i like big soft like Mm -hmm. indirect light and so my, my typical strategy is to bounce like into a, a corner or off mm-hmm. a white or card of some kind. And then okay. I put a diffusion panel in front of that strobe. So you get a bounce through a diffusion. So it's like a giant soft box essentially, but yeah. it's super mobile. It's not like a big box that you're, that's going to get in your shot. Like you can kind of put these things sort of anywhere. So yeah, I do a lot of diffusion, um, put diffusion on windows to mm-hmm. soften the light. Um, I do. And, and then I shoot, you know, I typically blow out the windows when I shoot. I, I mm-hmm. like that natural light flooding, flooding the room. And then I'll, I'll shoot plates to bring in the view later or bring in the sill yeah. later. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What's your workflow like when you shoot something? I mean, going from, you know, you've got the capture yep. in the camera and, and then what? And where do you go from there as far as your production? 
So we shoot, um, you know, tethered using Canon's software, the AS utility. Mm -hmm. And then I have that go into a hot folder, which is automatically imported into Lightroom. Okay. So, so for every, every job that I do has a unique Lightroom catalog. Um, Mm -hmm. that way I can just sort of isolate that one project that we're working on. Okay. And and then, so everything gets automatically ingested, you know, it gets metadata applied, file names renamed. I have like a default preset that I apply to every shot that comes in. It's just Mm -hmm. a little quick contrast and, um, you know, color treatment that sort of gives me a good starting point for whatever shot I'm working on. Okay. And then, um, you know, so, so that's during the shoot we're we're ingesting things and we're making stars to, you know, find what are our plates and what are the, the selects that we want to show later. If there's people, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick, we'll kind of edit that later. Cause there's usually not time to really do a good people there, yeah. but if yeah. it's just the space, you know, we'll just do, okay, these are the angles that we like. Mm-hmm. Um, when I shoot, I, I try not to do too many versions of the same shot. Okay. Like I try to find just the right shot. So I don't, I don't want to yeah. like give the client too many, like well, three, three feet to the left, three feet to the right. Like <laughs> just, just get the one that looks the best. I think that's so, really important. People will wonder how many shots we ought to do with the room. And I, you know, I say the same thing to them. There's really one best shot of this room. Mm-hmm. Anything else is just going to be an, you know, an alternative. It's not necessarily going to be three yeah. best shots. <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't want to make things redundant. You know, you want to tell the story of a space in the sort of like overall like detail medium. You know, kind of you can do different pieces, but yeah, the hero shot is is the hero for for yeah, most pieces. I, I think that's another you know film brain kind of thing that where <laughs> where you didn't really have the time to to give that option because a shot may take two or three or four hours to do. Yeah, you don't want to do several of those. So yeah, uh, yeah I think that's great. So from w- once you got everything in Lightroom, uh-huh. what happens? So I typically will pro- process proofs. So I'll just do color and contrast adjustments, and then I'll upload a gallery to the client so they can review the proofs. And then I, you know, I charge per file delivered um, okay. on the on the retouching side for a retouching mm-hmm. fee. So I don't want to retouch something that the client doesn't want. So I always like to give them yeah. proofs first. Um, and then let them have any sort of feedback. So once they have feedback, then me or my assistant will um, start doing all the retouching. You know, we work in Photoshop and, you know, we're trying to be non-destructive as possible. So we're always working in layers mm-hmm. um, and we'll bring in the layers for the windows. We'll bring, we'll retouch on a layer. So any kind of cloning or, or dust spotting that we need to do is done on a layer. Mm-hmm. Once they're done, then we flatten, we save it as a TIFF and we upload the TIFFs to a gallery and the client will get sort of one more like Passover to see if we okay. missed anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, usually it usually doesn't happen and, and the client will then download the high-res TIFFs and, and away they go. Okay. So when, when you charge a client, are you charging um, a basic creative fee mm-hmm. and, a, and then a per-delivered file fee as well? Uh, I charge, so for architect, it's, it's different for each kind of client, you know, um, for architecture clients, you know, especially the local, you know, regional kind of size Mm -hmm. clients. Um, I charge a a day, a daily creative fee and Mm -hmm. then a a usage fee per party, um, for the project. So it's just like a flat, like usage fee per party. And do you have to know that you have to know the number of parties going into that situation? Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, I try to get that. I try to get that ahead of time during the estimate stage, you know, to mm-hmm. find out how many parties you're going to be interested in, you know, cause there's always this incentive to get more people in, you can split the, the production costs. Yeah. Um, 
but I don't, what I don't want to do is just charge like a big creative fee. Uh, I want to make it scalable. So, you know, so I try to okay. have, but that's why I do a usage fee separate from the creative fee. Okay. Um, and so, and in, in most architecture jobs, you know, it's between 10 and 20 pitchers, you know, that mm-hmm. we're, we're getting in a day. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there's always anomalies to this, but you know, you just kind of adjust for that, but that's my typical workflow. And then I also charge for capture, edit and process. So okay. I charge for the, that whole process of bringing the laptop, editing and mm-hmm. roofing. Okay. Um, that's like a flat daily fee. And then we, we, so we call it light retouching. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's basic cleanup. It's, it's anything that I would do on set. That's part of my creative vision. Okay. I include that as a, as a per shot retouching fee. I call it the master file fee. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some shots don't require any Photoshop. They take five minutes to, to do, but then some yeah. will take like an hour and a half. So mm-hmm. it all kind of depends. Um, and when I can, I try to scout a job before t- well ahead of time so that I, I know okay. if we're going to need additional retouching. So for example, if a client comes back and wants to remove telephone poles from the exterior, like that's a big job. And so we will, we'll, I usually work with a, a, an outside retoucher for that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I just, you know, get his quote and pass that on to the client. Okay. All right. So anything, anything beyond what you would do is, is then build as a custom. Yeah, price. exactly. Anything above and beyond just basic cleanup and color. Mm-hmm. And how often, how often do you have custom retouch? Is it something that happens very often? Or? It's, it's happening a little, I mean, it, I would say, you know, 25 to 30% of the jobs okay. we're, we're, we're doing some additional type of stuff. Right. Um, telephone. So I live in Portland now. And so the, there's telephone poles everywhere and, yeah. you know, the clients always want to get rid of those. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's really hard. Uh, we had to remove an electrical box. And so I had to like, um, it was huge, just big, like, electrical panel right in front of the building. And so we shot the, the shot and then we moved 20 feet down and then shot at another shot. So we'd have source material sure. to, okay. to clone out the, the electrical box that was there. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. Like retouching, like I have to, it's, I wish, I think sometimes I, I do more than I, I should. I, I feel like I should, I, you know, if it's get, getting into the heavy duty stuff, I, I, I sometimes take a little too much on. I think I need mm. to get, get, I need to be better about being more upfront about this is going to cost more money because it's complicated and trying to explain that. So I need a better, a better way of explaining that. Okay. That's kind of a two edged sword for photographers because mm-hmm. part of, part of the value that I think uh, clients see in our work is the fact that we do those little extra things that they may not sure. notice necessarily. But when they see the photograph, they know it's been done by somebody whose skills are beyond what they've normally been getting. Right. <laughs> they can't really quantify it necessarily, but a lot of times it is a, a little extra retouch that we time we take to to clean something up. And that, that's kind of a tough line to walk. I understand that. Um, you've got a really beautiful website, and I noticed that you also include in there a section for photographers. Mm-hmm. Some information on that. How did that come about? Um, so, you know, I've been a photographer for 20 years now, and um, I'm trying to like think where I want to go with the rest of my career. And one thing that I've been wanting to do is is to be more of a resource for other photographers and mm-hmm. um, kind of have more transparency. You know, ASMP was a big part of my early career, and I had a good group of mentors there. Yeah, so I've created this new um, 
coaching website called Photo Authentic. And mm-hmm. uh, it's basically, it's like a, an online membership where people can um, ask me questions about commercial photography. I will review estimates. I'll, I'll help them edit their portfolios. Um, and I'm starting to do online courses, like how to, how to be a photographer and yeah. you know, how to do your pricing and uh, giving examples of estimates and um, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I'm excited. It's, I just started it like last uh, December. Okay. Um, I've got 11 members and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to do more of that kind of work going forward kind of as, as a good mix between the, my, yeah. my client work and then being a resource for other photographers. I think that's, um, that's amazing. And, uh, congratulations on that. That's something that is so valuable to beginning photographers. Yeah. Um, both you and I know that because there just aren't really good resources unless somebody's willing to, you know, listen yeah. and talk to you about things. Uh, you have to actually find a mentor. Uh, Brian Dressler and I, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, one of the things we talked about was the fact that this isn't like most professions <laughs> where you can go get a degree and, yeah. and, you know, get an ent- entry level job and start working and, and work your way up and things like that. But you act, it's a craft that you actually have to have a mentor or somebody who's a master at mm-hmm. to show you how to do it and to yeah. teach those things because they, otherwise it's a lifetime of trial and error. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and we don't want to encourage that. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I applaud you on that. I think that's great. Um, tell me how, how much uh, does your website affect your new business that comes in? Oh, it's huge. I would say it's the, the most important piece of marketing that I can do. Um, so for, cause, because I had a web design background, mm-hmm. I was always ahead of the curve, maybe for my skill level as a photographer. <laughs> and, you know, in the last couple of years, I don't do my website anymore. But in the early days, having a good website got me work. You know, it got me... Yeah in it got me clients and you know i was very aware of search engine optimization early on okay and and then creating you know traffic to my website through advertising and you know all those you know it's why i'm on aiap is so that Mm -hmm. i can get that referral but you know i tell my students this that your website is like you, you want everything you do is all about getting people to your website and then making it really easy for them to to know like and trust you quickly so that yeah. they're motivated to contact you and be like, oh, this is the person that I know that can do this job. So, you know, I've, I'm constantly refining my website and making mm-hmm. adjustments. And um, yeah, I can't stress how important it is to have a, a really good website and, and having basic things like having a contact form, having, you know, yeah. your contact information on every page and, and even saying the word photography or studio, you know, I, I had this experience once where I sort of dropped the whole like photo or studio thing for my branding. Oh, I had somebody call me, be, they're like, are, are you an architect? <laughs> or, and I was like, no, no, I, I take the pictures of the architecture. Okay. So, you know, like little things like that, you know, it's like, yeah. 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 So yeah, having a really good website is, is, is really important. Thanks for the explanation on that. I, your contact form, uh, I was really impressed by the way you have that set up and how effective that must be for you. Um, the, having a contact form came up in one of our previous Zoom meetings ah. with the organization. And I could tell from the, the looks on people's faces that were on that call <laughs> that most don't have a contact form. Yeah. Um, and those that do, the only reason they have it there is because they don't want their email on theirs to, to have it scraped. Yeah. And so uh, 
it, it's such an important tool. And I thought yours was just such an excellent example of Thank you. how to get people there and, and gain that trust and yep. confidence and then get them to spend money with you. Yeah, exactly. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the whole point of the situation. How much travel do you do throughout the country? Do you do, you do most of it in Portland area or are you just kind of all over the place? Um, it's right. I would say most of it's in Portland, uh, okay. Portland and California and Washington. So I'm mostly West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had moved back to Virginia in um, 2015 and I was living in Virginia for about four years. And mm-hmm. um I was traveling a lot more than I would say mm. 50% of my work was, was travel. Mm-hmm. And I was in Charlottesville, which is a really small town. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's just wasn't a lot to shoot there. Yeah. Um, but being in Portland, you know, when we moved here, like I didn't want to travel as much. And so I, I changed my marketing to focus locally um, and to go after just architects um, to stop kind of going after the bigger advertising kind of jobs. Okay. Um, that involve a lot of travel. So I've yeah. been kind of intentional about um, our, our situation here and what kind of work I want to do. And unfortunately, Portland and the Pacific Northwest in general, there's, there is a lot of stuff to shoot here. And yeah. there's some, you know, really talented firms, you know, Absolutely. big national firms that are based here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's worked out well. A very active market. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was kind of what your marketing mix is like. Um, I know you you said your website is your primary vehicle, mm-hmm. but what else goes into that mix of marketing your photography? Yeah, so um, I find email marketing to uh, my own list. So I don't buy lists anymore. Mm-hmm. I just have my own list. So it's anybody that's been a client or been a lead um, is on my mailing list. And so I try to send at least a monthly newsletter and I try to like, not just be, you know, here's some pretty pictures. Like I try to have it, you know, a little story, add a little story or add a little bit of humanity to it. Try to find some way of something for it to be helpful and useful. Um, And it's, it's amazing. Like every time I send one of those emails out, like I get three or four jobs. Like it's just, it's just easiest way to make, to get, remind people that you're there yeah, and to get their brain thinking, oh, I should reach out to Lincoln for this this shoot. You know, um, so with social media, I have a kind of like a personal aversion to it. I just I, I remember <laughs> I remember when um, oh, what was it called? Friends was it Friendster? It was like one of the first social networks that came out, and all my friends got on it. It was like before MySpace, and <laughs> and I was I had just started working for myself, and like I was getting bombarded with messages, and I was like, I don't have time for this. I work for myself. Yes. Like I don't. So, so from the early days, I've always been like very kind of wary of social media. Um, I find it to be it can be engaging. It can find some clients. I definitely have gotten some work from it, um, but for the amount of time and energy that usually put into it, I don't, I don't see it being nearly as valuable as having a good website and a good email follow up. You know, I've heard and listened to strategies for connecting on LinkedIn is a good way to doing it. You know, if you want to cold call and, you know, try to track down people to to hire you, then yeah, you could, you could do those strategies. But I, I find it, you know, a referral system is probably the best, you know, combination with a good website and a good email campaign. Because you know, word of mouth is is king as far as the yes. photo industry goes. Absolutely, I appreciate that. What I've noticed too with social media is that the most people that are interested in following me are other photographers, and so oh, absolutely. You know, it's like so, which is great for my my coaching business. So that now mm-hmm. I have a way to you know 
talk to those that community in a in a social media way. And so I'm, I've sort of shifted my focus on on that. Mm-hmm. And I actually split my social media account. So I have one that's just for the business. So it's just kind of like I just use it as a portfolio channel. Sure. Yeah. And then I have one that's just me, and that and that's the actual you know the Lincoln Barber you know Instagram is like my main thing. Um, okay. And that's and that. I kind of like no longer decided it's had to be show my work. It could be whatever I wanted. So I'm, I'm experimenting with, you know, different types of posts and mm-hmm. trying to, trying to like create engagement to kind of help people know that I'm there to help and be a part of that community. And, and, and then ultimately try to reach out to other photographers who need help with their business and see if I could help them that way as well. I think that's great. I, I really applaud you for that. What, what has the last year been like for you business wise? Uh, it was, it was tough. You know, it was, it was good and bad, you know, so, um, it was started off really strong at the beginning of 2020. And mm-hmm. then when things shut down, um, I actually, I had, I had booked a, a job with Hilton. I was going to shoot like a bunch. I was going to travel a bunch. I was going to shoot a mm-hmm. bunch of their hotels. Um, and this is, we we're supposed to leave on like March 4th. And then like literally like the next day, like everything got shut down. So, so that was a bummer. And, you know, I had a couple jobs that were up in the air that all got kind of shut down. So it went dark um, and quiet. And then it was, there was a lot, not a lot of good information from our state on whether or not I could actually shoot like, yeah. The whole like shelter in place thing. It, it, when I first read it, it sounded like if you weren't, you know, an essential worker, you, you don't go outside. And so, mm-hmm. um, but then like some more clarity came around and I realized that, that as long as I followed social distancing practices and wore masks and, you know, hand sanitizer, ate outside, those kind of things, like I could still do the shoot. So I immediately, yeah. once I notified all my clients to be like, Hey, we can do shoots. Like we just have to be careful. And this is the plan. So once people started feeling comfortable, things started opening up. Um, fortunately, I, I have a, a long-term relationship with this uh, real estate company, and they have like seventy properties on the West Coast, and they okay. were they were scrambling because they needed virtual tours done quickly oh. for all their properties. Mm-hmm. So they reached out to me to help them kind of find a solution, mm-hmm. and then once we figured, once we settled on Matterport as a solution for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got the contract to, sh- to scan all 70 of their properties. Um, okay. and it was too much for just me to do. So I, I am, I, at the time I had a studio manager and we were hiring contractors to, mm. to fulfill this. And so it became this really nice job to have when it was really quiet. So <laughs> pivoting a little bit and, you know, finding something other than just photography, yeah. um, has been, has been helpful. And, and so so yeah, spring was rough and then summer was kind of back to normal. You know, I had my, my big summer shoot for Hunter Douglas and then the fall was, everything was really going well. And then it just kind of the seasonality, it always kind of dips in January and February. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. That's, so yeah. That's kind of to be expected. I think in, in this industry, people, yeah. you know, don't want to shoot when it's winter time necessarily. Yeah. And sometimes they don't even want to plan to shoot. <laughs> no, I don't. So I, I, I completely understand that. Going forward, where do you think you'd like to be in another 10 years? Have you thought about that? It's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think with my photography career, you know, I'm sort of kind of in this, I've been wanting to like expand my services for architects. And so, you know, what the, what the virtual tour taught me is that I, I don't have to shoot everything myself. And so it's kind of gotten me comfortable with that idea. So... 
we're starting to add video. Like I have video people now that kind of help me out on some shoots. Um, okay. And I also, I, I partnered with a, a CGI company in the UK to offer you know, architectural oh. renderings. Okay. So that's starting to happen a little bit. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of using my, my brand the, as a studio, as this whole studio concept where we offer different types of architectural imaging services. Okay. So, you know, 10 years from the, down the road, you know, it would be nice to bring on like an, a, like a, an associate photographer mm-hmm. when they're shooting stuff in the way that I would shoot stuff, but maybe it's just like a different tier and that where it's like, I'm more shooting the bigger advertising work and then they're shooting the more local client architecture kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so that's one direction, you know, if I kind of keep going with that, but the other direction, if, you know, if the, if the whole, um, mentoring and, you know, online workshop type stuff starts taking off, then I can mm-hmm. see myself kind of pivoting away from shooting and more going kind of all in onto that, that sort of business where okay. it becomes more about helping photographers. So yeah, I'm kind of at this fork in the road a little bit and, um, uh, it's, it's hard to say where it's going to be in 10 years, but yeah, I appreciate you kind of taking a look at that, at least what it might look like in your crystal ball. Yeah. Um, I think that what you're talking about with the education of other photographers is such an important, um, resource. Because there really isn't a lot out there right now. No. Um, I mean, academic programs, we can't endorse any of them personally. I mean, I yeah. can it anyway. Um, and uh, I sat on the board of, of a photography school for a while and was allowed to go because I didn't agree with the direction that things were going. And there's just, you know, getting back to the fact that we talk about photographers being the resource for beginning photographers, there's just not a lot of that out there and a lot of that willingness to share that knowledge. And so uh, I think what you're doing is excellent. And I, I can only see that growing. I, I understand from uh, those who are in uh, com- you know, the camera equipment business and things like that, that business has never been better for right. uh, you know the higher end gear that people are expecting to use. Um, they've lost a job or they've, they've wanted to make a leap to do this mm-hmm. photography work. And so they need a little bit of guidance to get to that first step there. And yeah. so I think maybe you've helped fill that gap a little bit. If you were asked to, you know, give some advice to somebody who was contemplating jumping into this business <laughs> at this point, knowing what you know now, yeah. um, what are some just really fundamental things that, uh, that people should know that, Probably they're not going to know otherwise. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a good question. It certainly depends on where you are in your life. You know, I say if you're, if you're young, you know, I would take every opportunity you can to get into photography. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out and just become a photographer. Like it's, you don't want to quit your day job. You know, you don't really want to like be untethered and try to like make it work. Cause <laughs> that's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> um, so you know, for younger people, I would say, you know, assist, um, get involved in productions, try different types of photography, uh, even if you don't think you'd want to do it, just so you get some experience and to see how different photographers work. Um, it really, it's, it's kind of, I, I would say, you know, mindset and building your own, your own character is really what's gotten me far in my career, you know, just being a good person to talk to and be a good person on set and being able to like, um, take your ego out of your productions and your shoots and just being a real partner with your clients. Like that will never 
not be needed. You know, that's like, huge. yeah, that, that's absolutely huge. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, considering yourself a team member, um, with, with your people, um, I would say, you know, getting a diverse body of work is really important and, and kind of honing in on your craft, but mm-hmm. also studying up on business. You know, I, you know, okay. you need business skills just as much as you need photography skills to make it as a, as a freelancer. You know, if you don't want to learn business, you know, to, you can find a job as a photographer somewhere. Um, but if you want to, you know, have a long career and, you know, prosper and do well, you know, you, you kind of, you set some intentions and some goals and you, and you work towards them. You know, I, I always, I went to a, an ASMP event once and I, they were talking about an ad campaign and they're like, you know, we had a budget of only, only $35,000 for this ad campaign. And it was like a picture of two guys carrying golf bags on a golf course. And I was like, <laughs> like I could do that. So, so I had this vision that I was like, I want to do, I want to like get to that point where I'm doing these kind of shoots. And you yeah. know, it, it took 10 years, you know, of trying and, and, you know, working for, you know, very little to just to get the experience and just testing and, you know, and assisting, but, you know, I eventually got there. So yeah, and a lot of that, I think is just character, you know, it's just, you have to really kind of believe in yourself and kind of, you know, use your, use some grit to get, get through the hard times when you just feel like you want to give up. I appreciate that. That uh, is such good advice. And uh, I appreciate you outlining the, the need for really good business skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that if I were to have created a photography school, that, you know, it would be liberal arts. So it was a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And then there, there was an emphasis on business. Mm-hmm. You can always learn photography after you graduate. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the ideal course would have four parts. There would be marketing, sales, photography, and like administration, like how to yeah. like, how to like pay bills and taxes and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Like the kind of the, the things that I take for granted now, but I've made so many mistakes with that stuff because I didn't know and didn't have the information. <clears throat> so I think we all have. I would like to uh, to put your information in the description of this video and podcast sure. so that we can uh, put your website link and so people can go there. And, and if you wanted to, is your your educational part, is that a separate link then? Is that yeah. a separate website? Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, photoauthentic.com. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put that in the description as well. So cool. we thank direct you. people there. Lincoln, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. You've given us just a wealth of information in a very short amount of time. <laughs> and this is something that, you know, to me, if I were a starting out as a photographer, this would have been so incredibly valuable. I would have listened to it over and over, <laughs> and over again. And so, awesome. so thank you for your generosity in, in sharing your time with us today. Uh, and to um, we wish you all the success and we hope to talk to you again soon. That sounds great. Anytime. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Uh-huh. Alrighty. Bye. This has been another episode of A Photographer's Life. If you've enjoyed this program, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. A Photographer's Life is brought to you by the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. This episode is copyrighted, and may not be used in full or in part, without the written permission of the AIAP. Please join us again soon for another inside look at the world of professional architectural photography.